1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Chris Cummings. He's the founder and CEO of Pass It Down. Chris, welcome back to the show.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kevin.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you back on the show. You haven't done the show in a couple of years and you guys have grown a huge, huge amount. But maybe before we get into all the fun stuff that's been going on at Pass It Down, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in uh, in North Louisiana, um, right outside of Shreveport. Okay. Very OK. Yep.
1: So walk me through your educational uh, journey up until kind of graduating and and actually coming up with Pass It Down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was the uh, nerdy speech and debate kid. All right. uh, You know, so I did that with that. No, nothing, nothing at all. I mean, I, I consider it the, the single most valuable activity I ever did in my life. I'm cool. really, really thankful for it. Um, uh, but that led me to, uh, to LSU where I double majored in political science and international relations. Okay. I, uh, kept doing debate there and, uh, the natural step, if you really, really like to argue is to go to law school. Sure. So, <laughs> so um, That was the next step for me. I uh, went to the law school at LSU. And then from there, I uh, graduated with my law degree. I clerked for the Chief Justice of our state Supreme Court, um, got really into constitutional law, um, was doing death penalty work and uh, became a a panelist of the Federal Public Defender's Office. So one whole area of my life that's very, very different from what I do now. Um, But, you know, part of the reason I went to law school was that I also was my mom's caregiver. Uh, My mom had multiple sclerosis. She had developed early onset dementia in her mid 40s. And so while I was in school, I was also navigating um, the healthcare system and and assisted living and nursing homes and all that stuff. And uh, I eventually had to hire an attorney to be able to give my mom the care she needed. And that also kind of prompted me to want to go to law school.
1: Interesting. Okay, so walk me through the rest of your career up until coming up with Pass It Down, and what exactly is Pass It Down?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I always loved technology. Um, My dad had been, or was, um, still is, a a world-famous speaker. And so um, around 2007, he wanted to stop traveling so much. He was traveling over 300 days a year speaking. Oh, wow. Uh, a whole lot of travel, uh, and all around the world. And so, um, that was really the early days of e-learning systems. Um, at the time, if you wanted to to have your content be on an e-learning system, you had to mail in a, basically like a CD and wait four weeks to be able to get your, your content online. And so, uh, my, my dad and I created an online e-learning system called Woople, um, that we eventually scaled to, um, $17 Seventeen uh, million a year in annual recurring revenue. Never wow. took and never took any investment dollars. Just really honed in on B two B sales and focused on the automotive vertical, and and then expanded to insurance. I stepped away from doing that about four years later, and uh, and then got pulled back into the world of technology, where I ran a angel capital fund for a year, and then uh, you know eventually realized I really needed and wanted to start my own company again. And so uh, I started Pass It Down originally to put a digital biographer in every family's pocket because my mom was running out of time to be able to share her life stories. And um, and I didn't understand why biographers were so expensive. And I wanted to be able to know my mom more.
1: Sure. Makes sense. So walk us through that journey of of creating... Uh, pass It Down, and and how you guys have kind of morphed to what you guys are doing today, because it's quite a fascinating journey.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I believe that good technology is really built by by listening and learning, and so uh, when I started Pass It Down, I sat down with the head of a oral history department, one of the, the biggest ones in the US, um, and just said, look, I wanna learn to be able to put a digital biographer in someone's hands, you know, w- what do I need to know? And, you know, we spent the next three years, um, two and a half to three years really focused on trying to learn from the genealogy industry to learn from top biographers on how to be able to make it easy to record a loved one's memory and a loved one's stories. And so we built an application to do just that. But the interesting thing is that um, we had a lot of clients that would come to us and say, you know, i'm I'm so thankful you exist. Um, but I wish I had done this sooner, or I should have done this sooner, or um I just couldn't get around to doing it. And what we finally realized is that what we were trying to solve is a behavioral change. And behavior is the hardest thing in the world to change in business, as you know. yeah, and uh, and, and what I mean by that, at least in the u s, is that when we think we need to record a loved one's memories, Part of what we're thinking is that this person may pass away or may pass away soon. Wow. And we're not very good as, as human beings at thinking about death. And we actually run away from it. It's the same reason why everyone knows they should have a will, but they still don't do it you because just, they put it off. Right. And right. we we we, we we're running into that same issue. And um, that issue was super problematic because... I wishes and I shoulds may win a lot of awards, but doesn't create a good business or a good business model.
1: Sure. Okay. So walk me through that journey of how you guys transitioned to what you guys are doing now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we built a couple of partnerships that actually led us down this road. One was a partnership with the International Storytelling Center that puts on the National Storytelling Festival and the director of uh, both programs you know who works with organizations all around the world like the United Nations and uh, several others said you should really look at licensing your technology to organizations and communities because they have tens of thousands of stories but they have no way to collect and organize them and they have no way to add user generated content to them interesting and then literally Five days later, the head of the Chattanooga Public Library walked into our office and said, well, what if we could use your technology to bring our entire city's history to life? What if everyone in the city could actually record their own story about the city using your platform, and we could crowdsource community history? And uh, those two events happening in five days was kind of the, the big light bulb moment for us, so to speak, and the, hey, we should really look into these markets.
1: No, interesting. Walk us through, I, I know, explaining it with audio, because you guys do do so much that's visual as well, but how do you explain it to people so they can maybe visualize it in their head?
0: Yeah, I think the easiest way to explain it, essentially what we're doing is we're building digital museums okay. uh, for cities and for organizations that allow you to gather... All the video, audio, text, and photos that you would have, you might call this like an archive or a a collections. And we create an all-in-one platform that works on any phone, tablet, computer, or exhibit. So imagine like a big 55-inch touchscreen that allows you to come in and explore history and stories in interesting ways. So this could be a timeline. This could be uh, through a story map where you can explore and click pins on a map and see the stories of what happened on that street corner or um, on a particular address. But it's all about how do we bring history to life. And um, every organization in the world has an incredible history and stories that really matter and your history is your culture. And so we're taking these kind of old school archives that are generally sitting on either an outdated website or, to be frank, in a cardboard box, and we're giving them a place to live and a way for people to engage with them. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the nice thing is that in a lot of organizations, and, and a lot of people don't know this, um, you could take a gigantic uh, company, uh, it could be a nonprofit, it could be a city a library, and um, even a business will have sometimes an archivist or a historian on staff. Sometimes they'll have multiple people on staff. And so what we'll do is we'll create a white label platform for their organization that allows them to start to upload all of their their history and their stories. That history and stories can then be classified by uh, a number of different metadata standards to make it easy to find this content and search for this content in a way where it's like, okay, this is what we did in that location. Um, and it allows them to start building a, a an archive that they can then, um, you know, imagine putting a 60-inch touchscreen in your business's building where your employees can come in and have a way to interact with the entire organization's history and to say, well, what did we do 20 years ago? What did we do 10? Where are we going in the next 20 years? It's all about creating a, a home for that history and a way for people to feel connected to the mission and the culture of an organization. Absolutely. I mean, uh, believe it or not, you know, we just met with a company that has a hundred year anniversary coming up. Um, this is a world famous company. You and I and everyone listening would know. And uh, and they said, look, um, our entire organization's history is sitting in this one room in these cardboard boxes. And our office has flooded twice in the last 10 years. Um, you know, we we need to do this desperately. We need to create a better way to document you know, 100 years of our history, our entire organization's culture. And, um, you know, in addition to that, um, it's crazy how much time is spent searching for things related to an organization's past. Um, You know, McKinsey, I think, just had a report that said 20% of all marketing employees' time is spent searching for a document you already possess. Uh, And so we run into this a lot, you know, in this one uh, organization's case, you know, um, the the person we were speaking to had spent five and a half hours going through old uh, magazines from the fifties looking for articles about the organization's history. Correct. Yeah, it's a traditional uh, it's a traditional SaaS play with a license, a licensing fee that's really based on the um, either the amount of content uh, or the, the number of potential users. So, I mean, I think our, our business model obviously varies when we're dealing with cities that could have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people participating within a platform versus a uh, a smaller platform just for an organization. Yeah. So we're hosting all the instances through AWS. Yep.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So then from a user side, I, I go to, um, one of the organizations using the platform and how do I actually add my content to the platform?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, organization, you know, may have a button or a feature directly within the platform for someone to add a story, uh, from their own device. So, um, you literally could answer a question like, "What is your favorite Chattanooga memory?" And you could upload video, audio, text, or photo. you could pin it wherever it took place. You could list the date. um and and it allows you to participate. I uh, you know one of the reasons we really believe in crowdsourcing, particularly on the the organize or the community side, is um one shocking thing we discovered that's really terrible but true, is that um, minority history and women's history, uh, has not been preserved in most cities, uh, wow. at least at least in the U.S. So, like one of the cities we're working with is 33% African American, but the archives are 99.2% Caucasian. Okay. So the all, we can't fix it, but the only way you can chip away at that problem is by allowing history to be diverse and to sure. allow crowdsourcing.
1: No, that that makes total sense. And then how does it work for, um, like if I have a A video on maybe like a reel-to-reel or VHS or or some sort of older format, can I physically mail that to one of the organizations and and they'll convert it for me? Or how how do those old analog technologies work with the platform?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There are some fantastic companies that do conversion for a a living and are really good at it. Um, so we subcontract with some of those companies. Gotcha. So, um, you know, we want to do one thing really, really well. Um, but we, but you know, we make it easy for all of our our clients saying, whatever you have, you know, we can, we can add to the platform. Sure.
1: Because I think some of the coolest stuff that's probably on the different uh, platforms of of the different organizations or cities or whatnot is probably sourced from their the people right like a home movie that was shot 50 right. years ago right that that's pretty that nobody's maybe seen in 50 years
0: absolutely i mean i think the most interesting content is the most authentic one right it's yeah. never the content that's a commercial it's never the content that was professionally put together it's the real moments of life, um, or the real moments of an organization and, uh, and being able to <clears throat> connect people to those moments and those experiences. And, you know, I think still at the root of our company is that we still consider ourselves first and foremost, a storytelling company. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> it's not only enough to be able to, to put your archive online, but it's to be able to highlight not just what it, not just here's this photo from 1962, but, you know, what's the bigger picture? What was happening in this photo? What's the context behind it? Where, what was your organization doing and why was that important? Um, because that's how you get people to lean in and to feel connected.
1: Sure. If I post something, can other people add their opinion or other photos or video or or content from that same time or, or event?
0: Yes, if the client wants that option to allow comments or to have sort of this collection tool, I think one of the most interesting things we do is that you can ask the same question to 500,000 people and to view all of their stories side by side, the similarities and the differences to a particular moment, because we do remember things differently. You know, um, we've got a, a client we're working with that's going to be doing a campaign for, um, MLK coming up or MLK's, uh, holiday coming up. And, um, you know, they're going to, part of the campaign is to their alumni to say, you know, what do you remember from that day? Where were you on that day? Sure. Um, because they want to see the diversity of experiences and how people, you know, remember the past because everything also with the past you're, you're remembering, it's never quite perfect, but it's yeah. interesting to choose to remember.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Well, and even just different cultures and and different types of people's backgrounds, how they see certain events for for better or worse, right? And everywhere right. in between. Is, is would be fascinating, I think.
0: Absolutely. And we and you know, we try to walk the line very much so of saying, look, our role is to help you gather these stories. Um but, you know, you need to be aware that if you do this the right way, you're going to have a diversity of opinions and some of those will be in conflict with one another. Um, but that conflict ultimately is a good thing because that's that's a way for you to recognize the the, the authenticity of what what people know and what sure. they think.
1: Well, and I'm assuming that um, the organization or, or the city or, or whoever's using the platform can can moderate and remove inappropriate stuff that gets posted as well.
0: Absolutely. Or they can set it where it all has to be approved first right. before it's live.
1: No, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I'm sure some, yeah, just, it, <laughs> we don't need to get into that as long no, as people no, can, but it, can police that. Yeah.
0: But it's an, it's an interesting thing when, uh, when, uh, you know, you are collecting, you know, comments and opinions on this. The other cool thing though about comments is it also allows, um, our clients, um, archives and, and their experiences to be better. And the reason that's true is that when, you, when you're collecting, essentially, you know, documents and media from the past, um, a lot of it is you're guessing. Hey, I have this old photo. I think it's from 1957, but I'm not sure. Right. And so there's this one, you know, photo that one of our clients put up of this beautiful shot of their downtown, okay. and they labeled it, you know, Main Street in 1958 uh, during Christmas. And, uh, you know, one of the comments was, you're right, it's a beautiful photo. That's Main Street. It's Christmas time, but the car in that photo didn't come out till
1: 1962. Okay, interesting. No, and fair enough, right? Like some people just, it's hard to remember, like a few years, right? right? Yeah, no, interesting. So walk me through where do you guys kind of go from here? Because obviously you have a working platform, you have a ton of people using it. Where do you kind of see the platform going in the next little while?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the. You know, two of the industries that we're very, very interested in that people don't pay a lot of attention to but are massive are the library industry sure. and then the uh, the museum industry. Yeah, yep. And um, it, it, it's funny. We were originally in the genealogy industry. Okay. And uh, I can just tell from how people would react that people go, oh, genealogy, you mean ancestry and my heritage, and it's massive. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is genealogy was – uh, is a $3 billion industry and libraries are a $17 billion industry. Museums are a $14 billion industry. Wow. Um, and in both of these industries, the technology that we're replacing is technology that really hasn't evolved in 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, you go look at any of the, the archives that exist and you'd be shocked. I mean, it looks like we're traveling back to
1: 1995. Yeah. Wow. In, in a lot of cases, the code was written and hasn't been really updated since then
0: (laughs) exactly so in terms of where we're going we're you know what we found is here are these two massive industries that serve a very important role in societies around the world that um, have also a a purpose and responsibility to be able to do something good for the public um, but they've been stuck and handcuffed with really bad technology most of which isn't even mobile optimized and doesn't um, know or care about engagement. And so, you know, our focus is on really scaling within these two verticals to create a better way to collect, organize, and showcase history.
1: No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. The, the other thing that's interesting about the whole thing is when, when you say library, people just think they're public library down the street. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what they're forgetting is most organizations, cities, governments have their own libraries internally, right? Whether they're physical or digital, pretty much every organization on the planet has a library, right? Yep. And, and people don't think about it like that.
0: No, I mean, it, it's funny. Uh, when you think, you know, I always open my pitches saying, what do you think of when you when you hear the word libraries? Because people have this strong perception of libraries of being this, old, outdated buildings filled with books and that uh, that people don't go. Um, yep. So you're right. I mean, one, they don't realize that libraries are more than just public libraries. I mean, there are over 350,000 libraries in the world. Um, no. <laughs> uh, two, though, you know, libraries are changing rapidly. Um, you know, libra- the, the future of libraries is for them to become community centers yeah. uh, for people to be able to engage. And so you could take a four. Four floor library, and today they probably have removed two floors of books and replaced that with technology centers and um, maybe a place for local entrepreneurs to be able to come and learn. And uh, maybe they have a sound studio or a kitchen. Uh, You know, libraries are evolving so fast, uh, but they still have this old perception of like what they were versus really what they are today.
1: Totally, and you can get a lot of stuff digitally that you never even have to step foot in your library you can get magazine subscriptions you can get video games you can get music uh you can get a lynda.com subscription you can get a ton of free stuff without even going into a library or if you can go into a library and get all the physical stuff too right so you're totally right i'm, I'm
0: i am always shocked by how much money people waste yeah uh, when they could get all of that free at the library i mean people have no idea i mean it's like you said, if you want to find an audiobook, you, you really don't need a subscription. You can just get it for free.
1: Yeah. Or like magazines. Like basically right. every magazine you probably read, you could probably get free from your local library.
0: And not only can you get it free, you can get it delivered to your iPad through yeah. the library app.
1: No, fair enough. So I'm curious you mentioned that you guys have some new stuff rolling out. Do you want to talk about some of that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we ended up, um, you know, we knew when we transitioned to to launching this first city last February um, that it was a big idea and we wondered how it would go. Okay. And so, you know, it was very much of a, a pivot and also a leap to say, are we creating something of value, something that's replicable or something that's scalable? Um, and then the moment we launched it, we just all of a sudden started receiving all this interest. Um, in May, we were one of 10 companies selected for Coca-Cola's Innovation Accelerator. Wow, congrats. We were, that's huge. I appreciate it. We were we were fortunate enough this past May to work with some of the world's largest multinational brands like um, and connect with some of the world's largest brands. I mean, the companies that are in that program all together, Coca-Cola, Porsche, SunTrust, MailChimp, Cox, just to name a few. Um, and so, you know, we went from that program, which lasted for about six months and then graduated from that and and continue to look at these, the, you know, this, this issue we're trying to really create, you know, how do we help bring history to life and, and how do we scale that? And, um, we were fortunate. We just found out that we are—we uh, were one. We are one of ten companies selected for the Tech Stars program in Austin.
1: Oh, very cool! So congrats, man. That's huge.
0: I, I appreciate it. So, yeah, we uh, we are joining uh, the Tech Stars community, and you know, really looking at what does it take to be able to scale this truthfully all around the world, sure. um, or in any organiz. You know, our view is that any organization over five or 10 years old that has a history and they know the value of that needs a way to organize it, uh, and to, to value that. And we want to become the home for history and culture for organizations around the world.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. That's awesome, man. Congrats. That's huge. So do you have to move to Austin?
0: Yeah. So we have to move to Austin. So we, uh, me and our whole team, uh, are, are heading to Austin for that program. And, uh, we, we feel super blessed, um, you know, I actually have uh, this sheet of paper of my goals from 2017, and one of them was Techstars, and Very so it's cool. cool to be able to check that box off. Um, it's cool because I think that they see uh, the value of what we're trying to do and to can really help us to be able to get to building a, uh, a truly a global company, uh, and one that's as important, uh, one that has a purpose behind it, because I think that, you know, that that purpose Well, you know, that purpose will create, you know, all the financial success and all that other stuff. But really, um, what we believe is that history is truly important, but that people know less about it than they ever have before. And we have an opportunity to change that.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious to know, how did you guys fund pass it down? Did you guys raise some money? Have you raised some money along the way? Have you bootstrapped or, or walk us through that journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from my background in technology, um, you know, I was able to raise kind of that first friends and family round of about $250,000. Sure. And then since then, you know, we've raised uh, a couple of bridge rounds, really getting ready to do a, a pre-seed round or a seed round, depends on what part of the country you're in and sure. what it's called. Um, but, you know, fortunately, every time we got major press, we had people reach out, you know, looking to invest within the company. And so... Uh, up to this point, we've only raised $400,000, but wow. uh, we have a, a, a number of opportunities now to be able to raise um, our pre-seed round of a million dollars. And, um, you know, fortunately, I think we did what, what, you know, Blank would say you should do, which is save as much money as possible while you're trying to find product market fit. And sure. then once you do, now's the time to raise. Now's the time to scale. And And that's where we are at.
1: Right. Well, and you have paying clients now, right? Which is... Which also helps raising money.
0: Yeah, it does. You know, uh, fortunately, um, you know, we went from, you know, we did, you know, $300,000 of sales very, very quickly the moment we pivoted last year um, just from from that, that shift. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You always read about how one little shift can really make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, you know, with my last company, we understood an industry really well. So we, we had success pretty quickly and you know, with this, with Pass It Down, it was not that easy. You know, sure. we were very much more in the experimenting, trying to find our fit within the market, trying to solve a real problem that to create value. But the moment that we made that shift and we started listening,
1: sure, all of a sudden
0: everything really did it, it you know, get better.
1: Interesting. So what other advice do you give people that are either struggling or looking to get into doing their own startup or, or even just trying to brainstorm an idea to actually go after, right?
0: I think the most important thing that, that you can do uh, and our whole team really believes this is that you have to listen to your customers and you have to build what they need. Sure. Uh, not what you think they need. Sure. Or, let me, let me rephrase that. It, it's too easy to say I have an idea and to build your idea and you build that without actually solving a real customer problem that's scalable. Sure. Uh, we really do listen to our customers Uh, spend a lot of time talking to them, asking them questions, but then we trust our gut on how to be able to solve that problem. But I think that more than anything, I see entrepreneurs who are like, I have this idea, and they fall in love with their idea. And uh, the love of that idea will be the death of their company.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You need to make an early on decision. Do you want to build like a passion project or do you want to build a business that makes money. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just you need to decide, right? Because if you if you just chase something that you want to go for and you don't really listen to people's feedback because it might change the direction and you don't want to go that way, that's fine. But you, you will struggle to make money or potentially struggle to make money or it might take you a lot longer to make money or you might not make money at all.
0: Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, i've seen you know i've seen tons of entrepreneurs go down that road and um, you know we had to make a, a hard decision about changing the direction of our company and, sure. it, and it wasn't an easy decision you know i started pass it down you know based on a very personal circumstance that happened with my mom's health and her life sure. um but i also realized that we were not a, we were not equipped to be able to to solve that human behavior problem um, but that we also had an opportunity even if it was a different path to get there to still help people record their stories and their memories and to still help people know their history and the value of that through human connection. But, um, we had to, you know, we had to listen to where the market was taking us and where customers were taking us. Uh, and, and not, you know, like a lot of people put their head in the sand and go, no, I know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Interesting. But you, you mentioned something that I want to go back to you Take a lot of customer feedback and decide what features to to implement. But how do you know? Because the tricky part about that is you probably get, let's say, 100 requests. How many of those 100 requests do you actually know what to build? Because you can end up just kind of chasing your tail and building feature after feature. And people are always like, well, if you add just this one more, we'll sign up, right? Do you know what I'm getting at?
0: I, I do. You know, I, I think it's the most valuable thing you can do is to say no. Um, we we refuse to build any one-off products. So we don't build okay. any one-off features that would only solve a problem one of our customers has. We really take any request and also study our customers to say, how will this benefit all of our clients? Sure. And you know, the fortunate thing is that we're we're trying to do one thing well, which is to solve a way to be able to showcase your history and to make that interesting. And so we always go back to that question of like, you know, for any of our clients that have an archive, would this feature make it more interesting? Would it make it more engaging? Um, You know, one of the interesting things about the markets we're serving is that since most of our competition is very outdated and was built By academics, and I don't mean anything negative against that. I'm an academic too. But what I mean is that a lot of the best practices of technology haven't been applied to these industries. Um, You know, we really have a good roadmap to follow that's been created in other other industries on how to make this process more engaging and easy for our clients.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I think they're actually, aren't they deprecating a bunch of the other... Uh, some of your your bigger competitors because their there's technologies is too old
0: very yeah very much so i yeah. mean it's but it, it's funny you don't know what you don't know i mean i literally had a a, a now client now um pay for me t- to fly to them to prove that what we did was possible because they didn't believe it was wow that's as, cool as though yeah as shocking as it is and it's funny it's like it's just to them, it seemed like magic. They just couldn't believe that you you could you could do this so easily. I mean, if you want to create an archive, you know, some of our competition is going to make you wait six weeks, and it's still going to look like crap. Yeah. Uh, we can do it in a matter of minutes.
1: Yeah, interesting. What other advice do you give people? Because you've been kind of on both sides of the spectrum. You've obviously built a really successful company. You meant you mentioned a while ago you were an investment side of things for a while now you're back doing your own thing what other things have you learned over the years kind of on either side of the fence
0: yeah i think you know one thing that's interesting is you have to know how to be able to tell your what you do what the story behind it in a way that's exciting and a way that, that gets to the big picture quickly um because i Ultimately, you're going to need to be able to generate excitement about your your product, and that could be directly within sales, that could be for venture capital. But you need a good grasp of how to cut through, you know, the million things you want to say and focus on the one or two big ideas. Um, and, and I think that as long as you can do that, you can survive. Sure. Um, Is that
1: trial and error, though, or how do you actually accomplish that? Because it's hard.
0: It's hard, you know, like one thing I noticed, the reason I brought up the genealogy story earlier is, you know, the first five months of uh, our pivot into licensing our technology to libraries and museums, we had never had more sales, we had never had more interest, our funnel's blowing up. Um, but whenever I'm talking to anyone I know on the investment side or or any of my, the, my friends that are... Um, In Silicon Valley or anything along those lines, they weren't getting it because they're like, well, aren't libraries dying? Aren't these like boring industries that no one cares about? And it took me five months to realize that we really have to lead with what do you think about these things and to immediately get that stigma out of the way. Sure. But it, it took five months of conversation to realize, you know, all that excitement that we used to have, we, we don't have it anymore in our pitch. How do we generate that excitement again and get people to, to see the big picture? Um, so a lot of it's listening, a lot of it's practice. And I think that advisors and mentors are critical to be able to get you out of your own head and to, to you know, really see things from a different perspective.
1: No, I think that's really good advice, right? Because sometimes just having somebody that um, you will give you that brutal, honest feedback to say, you know what, this part doesn't make sense or you need to change this or sure, you're playing in this space and, and some people don't get it. But you need to make sure you need to figure out a way to make sure they do get it and that how big the industry really is. Right. Whatever industry you're playing in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and my whole pitch was rewritten by the feedback from a couple of people I really respect. So, um, but it took, it took their advice and, and, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful for it. And it's hard for me, you know, my whole background was in being a, um, in, in high school and college, uh, a really good speaker. And, uh, I won a lot of awards for speaking, but I still need someone to, to tear down you know my ego on that point and say, you're a great speaker, but what you're saying isn't isn't getting to the big picture yet. Um, I think the other thing though, the reason that we um, are are generating so much interest now is more than anything, the most important thing you can do is just focus on sales. Yeah. If, you, if you can if you can sell, if you can deliver value to a client, if you can create a case study about that that will help generate other sales, sales are the best way to really fund your company. And we, you know, we stopped focusing on applying to pitch competitions and awards because all that stuff's nice, but it's not necessarily bringing money into your bank account. And we just said, let's let's shift all that time and attention we would have put towards, you know, that area, the, that PR and to just making more calls and trying to generate more sales um, and to prove that there's a real market for this. And I think that too often people... Um, Don't, you know, don't make enough calls. You know, there's a a great video that, uh, you know, Y Combinator put up from their startup school in, I think, 2015, where they have their, I think it's the chief marketing officer of Clever, talk about just B2B sales. And, uh, you know, one thing I never forgot is he said, look, you know, when you're starting something new, you know, you're looking to reach the two and a half percent of people that are willing to take a leap, which means every hundred calls you make are to try to get two to three clients, which shows you how many calls you have to make, how much uh, outbound you have to do.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So how are you guys going about sales? Like, are you just literally going online and doing research and finding them on, on the different platforms or, or just word of mouth or how are you guys actually finding those leads?
0: Yeah. So we're, we're lucky. We're generating a lot of um, inbound interest uh, right now, but in terms of outbound, Um, you know, it's not Facebook ads, it's not Google ads, it's presence at library conferences, museum conferences, it's getting into academic journals, it's having your work written about in those academic journals and, and presenting at those conferences. It's really more about building credibility within those industries so that people associate with you and say, I want to do business with you. And, um, it's just, it's, you know, when you're dealing in these types of verticals, you've got to build credibility within that industry that people should trust you. Um, organizationally, you know, it's interesting. One thing we do is we scrape company founding dates to figure out when they've got upcoming 25, 50, 100 year anniversaries. Uh, smart. Because we know, we we know that they're thinking about the need to celebrate that that landmark.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's figuring out creative ways to. To get your your company out there, right? And in front of potential customers that you know are probably looking for something that you're providing. Yeah, that's really good advice, actually.
0: Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, more than anything, you just have to understand understand your industry and how those people spend their time and who they listen to, what they read, because that's the most important thing for marketing is reaching, reaching them in that way. Marketing should never be considered like a blanket approach. Um, It shouldn't be considered like, here's the best practice from one industry, do it here, because every industry is made up of individuals that have different interests and different backgrounds. And you just have to really delve deeply into whatever it is you do and how to reach those people.
1: Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's quite fascinating, right? Just listening to some of the tactics people like yourself take to actually get themselves out there, right? Because it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of trial and error.
0: Very, very much. Uh,
1: and, and, you know, that's
0: also why one of our beliefs is that um, our belief is that we wanted to focus on having higher, like larger clients or higher end clients at the start right. that were are paying us larger sums of money because it's easier to be able to uh, several things. One, um, if you can land, you know, four of those in your first year, then that can pay all the bills, fund your R&D, really get your development to where it needs to be. It's easier to provide customer service, and then as you're able to to provide value and do that, then you can start to really look at scale and then lowering the cost of everything you're doing across the board. Um, but too many people I know ha- start at the other end, they try to give away things for free at the beginning. Right. Um, and it becomes very hard to create value within your product.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's really good advice. But we're almost coming to the end of the show. So is there anything else that you want to mention, either from the advice side or from the Pass It Down side?
0: I would just say that, uh, you know, one, thanks for having me on the show. Um, Of course. Two, uh, we would love for you to follow along with us on our journey. So it's very simple. It's just PassItDown.com. And same thing for Twitter. It's just PassItDown. And, um, you know, if you have a need or anyone has a need to be able to help bring their history to life. That's that's what we love doing. And so we would, we would love to be able to help connect in any way.
1: Perfect, Chris. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time again to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. You too. Thanks, Thanks. Kevin. Okay, bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.